2 Timothy chapter 2. We're third weekend to a series in this book leading up uh, to Advent, the time that, that leads us to, to Christmas, and uh, we're going to be studying this until that time. 2 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, and we've been looking at this idea of faith uh, at the beginning. This will be our third uh, message about faith. And really, we looked first at how Paul talks to Timothy and makes sure that his faith is sincere, that he has a true faith. It's a sincere faith. And then last week, we saw that he challenged him to safeguard his faith. Make sure it's sincere, then make sure that it is safeguarded. You protect it. And we talked about that. And today, we're going to add the third S word, strengthen your faith. This is Paul's command that that Timothy be strengthened by the grace of, that is in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to be reading just the first seven verses of chapter 2. Will you follow along with me in your Bible, or it's also in the bulletin? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. A few months ago uh, in in March, Dick Hoyt uh, passed away, and it brought a lot of media attention back to who Dick Hoyt was and Team Hoyt. These are terms that you may not be familiar with at all, but maybe you have. Some of you have heard maybe they've been famous since about the 1970s. Team Hoyt is a father and son duo who have run just about every single type of marathon, triathlete, Ironman uh, in the country. And Dick completed those races with his son Rick by pushing him, his disabled son, to the finish line every single time. See, Rick, the son, was born uh, quadriplegic. He was Um, He had cerebral palsy, and so he was destined to live his whole life in a wheelchair. And they thought for years that Rick wouldn't have any kind of functioning whatsoever. He uh, was just going to be unable to communicate, but then technology advanced in the late 70s, and they were able to get a computer so that he could select letters and then communicate with his family. And one of the things that he first communicated Having gone to a special school, someone that he knew was, was also paralyzed, had become paralyzed, and he wanted to run a 5K race to benefit this friend. He was able to tell that to his father and ask his father to take him on this race. Dick, the father, was 36 years old at the time, uh, completely out of shape, um, I can relate uh, to those things, Um, and uh, not used to running at all, and and yet he he heard this desire of the son, and he pushed himself, and they began to practice, and when Rick was at school, he would put 
cement bags into a wheelchair and run around and he would complete these trainings and then they did the 5k and they finished it and that was the start of 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 over 30 years of races 30 years he pushed his son rick to the finish line eventually running 72 marathons 255 triathlons six ironman races and hundreds literally hundreds of 5ks and 10ks They devoted their whole life to this. A question I want to ask this morning is, where did the strength for Team Hoyt, because that's what they became, we are Team Hoyt, they've created a foundation, where did the strength come from that drove them to the finish line? A couple of things that no one would say. No one would say that Rick, the son had no motivation. No one would say that it, that it wasn't his desire to finish the races that, that, that caused them to be doing this. His discipline was certainly part of the race. And yet, here's something else that people would never say. That Rick, the son, disabled. That he was the one who won the races. That he was the one who had the biggest impact that Rick did this on his own. It was his father's strength, of course, ultimately, that caused this to matter in the end. It was his father's arms and legs that pushed him to the finish line. And Rick knew his own weakness, and that's why he asked the father for his strength. And then he committed to the race. I hope you can see somewhat of where I'm going with this because we have this kind of question when it comes to our own spiritual strength what makes us strong spiritually speaking how does God work in us how do how do we work towards getting stronger in our faith by leaving behind certain sins that have come to entangle us to move on into more and more faith greater and greater experiences of God's goodness to us. How do we do that? And we know that discipline has to be a part of that. Of course, why would the Scriptures talk about giving ourselves to the Word of God, for instance, or to prayer, or to uh, making sure that we run the race that is marked out for us? And all of these metaphors for discipline throughout the Scriptures, we know that has to be in the equation, but we wonder because It seems to be that when we engage in those things, we still seem so weak. And we wonder if it's enough. And we wonder if it's really working. How does the Scripture talk about this? Where does spiritual strength come from? I want to give you a paradigm this morning that I hope will be helpful to you in these seven verses that Paul gives Timothy here about strengthening, strengthening his faith. And here's the paradigm. Our faith gets stronger when our dependence on Christ leads to discipline. Our faith gets stronger. If you want to know where spiritual strength comes from, it comes from this. Dependence that leads to discipline. And both of those things are important, but the order matters a lot. It begins and ends, we're going to see, in dependence on Christ, what Christ has done. So let's look at these two things, dependence and then discipline. 
Dependence that leads to discipline. First, dependence. We have to be completely dependent for our strength on Christ. Look at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by what? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul chooses his words extremely carefully there on purpose. And I don't normally do this kind of thing, but I think it's important that you understand the the grammatical construction of what just happened here because I think that he chose it very specifically. Paul uses here a present passive imperative. That's the form of the verb, all right? Be strengthened. Present passive imperative. It means that there's something going on in the present, something ongoing, but it's passive. We know the difference between an active and a passive verb, right? Uh, an active verb is I carry something. A passive is I was carried by someone. There is passiveness here. And he uses that very particularly. Be strengthened. He wants Timothy to do something. It's an imperative. It's a command. He wants him to do something, but the thing that he wants him to do is passive. Still, he wants him to call it to mind. And what's behind this is Paul's insistence, as it is in many other letters, that that grace be something that is not just one time. That grace is not just an entrance into the Christian life. As sometimes we think about, I was saved by grace, and then we kind of live by discipline. That's not what the Scriptures teach us. It's not that grace gets us in the door. It is grace all the way. Timothy, a leader in the church of Ephesus, one of Paul's top people, needs to hear that he needs to be strengthened by grace. It reminds me of the beginning of the Gospel of John where John is talking about Christ and he says, from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You see, there's this idea that Grace is enabling first. Grace enables us to come to God to be saved by Him. Enabling grace, but then also continuing grace. Grace that keeps us growing. It is by the grace of God that we are saved and the grace of God that we are strengthened. It overflows. And he's telling Timothy, you need to be strengthened by this grace. You don't need to fall into the traps of being strengthened by other things. And there are some other things going around. Namely, Gnosticism and and Stoicism. Gnosticism, this idea that there is a secret knowledge. There were those who would... We know this from the rest of the the book and, and 1 Timothy as well. Those in Ephesus who believed that, that to know things is what made you strong. If you had a secret knowledge, then you could be stronger. If you had an experience of God in the, in the third heaven, you could go up there and just experience Him. You would know things, and it, then you would be strong. The really strong ones were those who knew. Or Stoicism. Not the ones who knew, but the ones who do. That strength comes from practice. From, from a disciplined body. From a disciplined mind. Someone who looks at life as a reality and then gives their life to that reality and and every day does the same patterns and then you grow strong. Now, of course, you do grow when you know things and you do grow when you have discipline, but 
What Paul is saying here, he's giving us this unique Christian message is not that at the heart of our strength is not our discipline. It's not our knowing. It's not our doing. It is our depending that gets us strong. We're made strong by depending on the grace. The grace is the instrument here that brings us to Christ. We grow when we depend on Him. And when we see how He spreads His gospel message, we depend on others. In a secondary, much more secondary sense, what He does next is He says, don't just depend on Christ, but you, Timothy, I want you to depend on others. Now look at verse 2. And what you have heard from Me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Tells them you need to take what you've heard from Me and trust these to faithful men, and then you'll be more free. Now, why does Paul give Timothy that command? Why? Well, note several things about why he would do that. First of all, it's going to get Timothy to do what Paul wants him to do throughout this whole letter. Come see me. Paul wants to see Timothy in the flesh. We have no idea if Timothy was able to make it before Paul is killed. This is near the end of Paul's life. But he wants Timothy to come see him, and so he's freeing him up. He's like... Find other people. Don't just leave it in shambles. You know, but, but find faithful men and then, then come and see me. But the second thing that he's doing here is that he's tell, telling Timothy that he doesn't have to go through this alone. That he doesn't have to be the only person who's entrusted with the Gospel. He can spread it out. There's an echo here from the Old Testament when Moses led the, the people out of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage. He was overwhelmed with giving judgments on the people. He, he kept having to hear every single case. He was the only judge, and his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and says, it's not good that you're the only one doing this. Appoint faithful men to help you out. Paul's saying the same thing here to Timothy. Also, Paul is telling us something about how authority works in the church. The church is given faithful men who hear the original witnesses. There is nothing here, for instance, about um, the apostolic succession. He doesn't say you need to find somebody that is, is going to be uh, somehow set apart um, in, a, in an apostolic way. He says, look, there's, there's the first witnesses. I, I have a witness of Christ, and I, want, I, I gave that to you, Timothy, but I want you to take that and entrust it to Faithful men who will then be the witnesses. This is what God does to equip the church. He, in every generation, he, he raises up faithful people. And there's a chain. We can see this. I remember reading um, you know, a story about how this, this uh, was illustrated in a unique way. Richard Sibbs, he was, uh, I mentioned him actually a few weeks ago. He wrote a book called The Bruised Reed. It was a Puritan um, writer, pastor. And he wrote a book. Small book, still worth reading, still relevant, The Bruised Reed. And a copy of that book, The Bruised Reed, came to a tin peddler. And the tin peddler ended up just giving it to a boy named Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter became the premier, you know, if you're in our tradition, a Reformed tradition, pastor who wrote many books. One of them was A Call to the Unconverted. That book was picked up by Philip Doddridge, 
a later Puritan. It influenced his life, and he later wrote a book that was then read by William Wilberforce. And then the splintering out of influence from this faithful message about the gospel, you see how it affects everything. William Wilberforce, of course, going on to free the slaves in England and cause all kinds of impact in the world. And so Paul's telling Timothy, listen, depend on Christ, but depend on others, and especially how I'm going to use others. I'm going to have my word go out. I'm not putting you on the hook for this. You need to come back into a place of dependence on God. How do we depend on Christ? And how do we gain strength from depending on Him passively? How does that work? How do we actively do something that's passive? Well, I think there's a number of ways, but one of the ways that is really important is to notice how it is that we talk to ourselves and others and what it indicates about our belief and where strength comes from. How do we talk to ourselves? Do we begin to think that grace has got me on this journey, but really what God wants me to do is to be better and, and better and better? And, and really, He's dependent on me to do that. And I wish that I could prove to Him. And I wish that I was uh, better in, in all of these ways. And we think, I need more discipline. I need more doing. I need more of this so that He will be pleased with me. Discipline does strengthen us. We're going there. That's the next part. Discipline strengthens us. But it is not at the heart of our strength Saying discipline makes us stronger is like saying it was the desire of the quadriplegic to win the race that got them to win the race. It was not. It was not the factor. It was a factor. The factor is the willingness of the Father. We need to watch our language. As we fail, we say things like, I'm an idiot. I should be better I should be further along. I'll always struggle with this. And we, we teach ourselves with all of this I language. And what Paul says is you need to be strengthened in the grace of Christ. Turn away from the I language. That doesn't mean that you don't confess your sins. In fact, that is the best way. It's why we do it every single week when we say I have done this and I have done this. We are being strengthened by the grace of Christ. It begins there receiving His grace for the first time and then receiving it over and over again, watching our days, watching how we walk away from Him, but just coming back not to, I'll do better next time, or it's been 30 days since I did X, Y, or Z, or whatever it is, our, our, our effort, our streaks, whatever it is that we put trust in, it is actually in the grace of Christ that we should return to. Dependence first, then leads to discipline. The fact that our strength ultimately comes from God's grace does not prevent Paul from now talking about discipline. And he gives us three pictures. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. What ties those three pictures together? Well, I think there's actually three things that tie them together, but I'm only going to give you one right now because I think it's the primary one. 
the primary thing that ties us together is this idea of discipline. They are disciplined. Is Paul now contradicting himself because he's just said you need to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And now he's saying, but be an athlete, be a soldier, be a farmer. No. This is an important thing that we need to understand. That's why this paradigm is so important to understand where strength comes from. Dallas Willard, not someone that I agree with on everything. He's a writer, but I do agree with him on this phrase. It's stuck with me where he says, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. I think he's right about that. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. The idea that we can earn our way back to God is against grace, but the idea that we would work hard in God's service is not against grace. Let me show you one passage of Scripture that captures this so well from Paul's other writings. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Do you see Paul following his own paradigm that he's giving to Timothy? He's saying, I'm working hard. Harder than anyone even. But I know that it's only because of the grace that works within me. The grace, that dependence first, then feeds his discipline. And this is all over the New Testament. What does this discipline look like? Three pictures and three attributes of discipline. Number one, it is discipline means that you are devoted like the soldier. Verse three and four, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul uses a military language here to talk about the Christian life. Maybe that makes you a little uncomfortable. Um, You're going to be uncomfortable a lot in the New Testament. I'm just just telling you. Um, Because that is one of the primary ways that he talks about it. He talks about in 1 Timothy, you need to wage the good warfare. He talks to Archippus and and uh, Epaphrodites, and he calls them fellow soldiers in other parts of the New Testament. Ephesians 6, about putting on the full armor of God. There is an image here that works. The Christian life is like being in a warfare. And Paul says you need to be a good soldier. Meaning what? Meaning that you are devoted. That's what he draws out here about the soldier. The soldier is not entangled in civilian pursuits. What is he talking about? Well, he's probably referring to the Roman code of Theodosius. If you're, the Rome, if you're going to be a Roman soldier, you had to follow this code and agree to it. And it said this in part, we forbid men engaged in military service to engage in civilian occupations. So basically, if you're a Roman soldier, you were a soldier. That was your only thing. You had a single-minded devotion. You weren't kind of a soldier, right? If you were, if you had kind of a partial commitment, then when things get hard, of course, you're going to abandon that post. But he says, if you are a soldier of God, then you, when it's hard, and it will be, because share in the suffering as a good soldier, then you stay with it. You are devoted. Single-mindedly devoted. Second picture is one that's reliable. The reliable athlete. It's interesting. 
that he draws out this particular part about what being an athlete is. He says in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. According to what rules? Here's another cultural reference, but this is referring to the Olympic Games, most likely in Greece and Rome, where the Olympic athletes had to compete by the rules, meaning they went through a 10-month regimen of training, and they had to compete. In order to compete, they had to go through that training, and then they had to swear an oath that they had gone through the training so that the competition would be amongst those who really were the best and so that it would be safer and all of these things. And so if you did not complete the program, then you were not qualified. They had to be reliable. They had to be depended on to be reliable to say, I did the program and they did it. And swear that oath. And he's saying that is like the Christian life. You're devoted like a soldier. You're reliable like an athlete. And the third picture is that you are diligent like the farmer. Verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This diligent farmer is called hardworking. And this picture of discipline is not so much about authority of a soldier looking to his captain and not so much about competing by the rules, but about the constant labor and vigilance it takes to produce the crop, to produce growth. And so in the same way, our faith is to be dependent on Christ, but then leading evermore into discipline, into reliableness, into diligence like a farmer. Each one of these things requires discipline and suffering, and so does the Christian life. We can't hide behind this idea of grace in the Scripture. Grace in Scripture, enables discipline. You see it all over the place, and it is appropriate for us to ask, is there this sense of discipline in my life? Is there any sense in which I can relate with Paul when he says, I'm an athlete for the Lord. I am a hardworking farmer. I have this diligence over this, this crop and I'm, I'm weeding it out and I'm watching it. I'm looking for the weather patterns and I'm, I'm trying to get this to produce something. Do I look to Christ constantly as my captain and do what He commands? Do I look at the Scriptures not just as inspiration or good things, but as the rule book that qualifies me, the, the, the thing that I need to follow, the training program, so to speak? To look at my faith like a farmer looks at his field and see that it needs all this tending and then intentionally move into it. Paul grounds us in dependence. Can't leave it behind. Then he leads us into discipline. And then he gives us this final command to ponder over these images, which I think he means for us to understand the tensions between these things. Verse 7, think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Ponder these things. You need to not let this pass. You need to engage with this. It's complex on one level. But on the other level, it is very simple and straightforward. Everything that we have is by the grace of God. 
and He gives us everything to then pursue a life of discipline in Him. And when you follow that paradigm and you continually give yourself to God's grace and you are refreshed, not just theologically, you know that He's given you grace, but you feel His grace. You're not beating yourself up anymore. You're, you know that you're His child. And then you kind of step out with that confidence into your life so that you can work hard for Him. But not because you have something to prove, but because He's enabled you to do so. That's the paradigm. I mentioned that there are three reasons, I think three things that tie together these images. And the main one is that they all require discipline, but I think there's a couple more. And they provide a motivation and a sense of compulsion towards following God that I think are beautiful. The second one is this. All three of these things imply or state a reward. For the soldier, there is victory. Christ will win. And when we are, have Him as our captain, then we follow the one who will win. He'll make everything sad untrue. The athlete competes for the crown, for the prize. And that is all throughout Paul's thinking. Everywhere that he writes, he just thinks of himself as this athlete going after the crown. It is the reward the crown that he pursues. And the farmer, as we're told here in this verse, that it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. God has promised an inheritance, a reaping, a harvest for those who follow him. And if you work hard in anything, of course, you do so with something else in mind. And Paul says that's not wrong thinking. To work hard towards the gifts and the rewards that God gives us in this life and the next. But the third thing that I think draws these, all these images together, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, is this. In each of these cases, the ultimate results are left outside of themselves. Notice that he tells us to be a good soldier, not a captain. The good soldier follows orders, but he is looking to the captain for his guidance. And the captain is the one who knows how the war will be won. The athlete. The athlete can only do as well as he or she can do. If you talk to Olympic athletes, you see them interviewed afterwards, they're excited or they're not excited about winning. Winning or not winning is not the primary thing. I've seen this in so many post-interviews of Olympic athletes. They say, I either I did and came, what I, I came to do what I could do, and I did it, or I didn't, I, I didn't do everything that I wanted to do. But there's just no idea about the other athletes, right, because... You can't control how good someone else is. You can only follow your own, your own regimen. And here, the results of the race are left up to something else other than the athlete. The athlete just trains. Is it true of the farmer? Yes, beautifully so. This is a hard-working farmer. 
works hard, gets up before everyone else, puts in the right fertilizer, plants at just the right time, watches for patterns in the sky. Everything that he can do. But, no matter how hardworking of a farmer you are, you don't control the invasion of pests. You don't control the weather. You don't control the early frost. And every farmer knows, just like any of us who plant anything know, that we can put something in the ground and watch it and even do all the right conditions. But when that seed actually breaks down and dies and then grow, something grows out of, it, out of the soil, it's always a kind of miracle. It's not just hard work. It can't be. All of these things are outside of our control. And so, while each of us works hard, the results are not left up to us and we have a full circle back to the grace that's found in Christ Jesus. At the end of the day, we are strengthened by Christ Himself. We're going to come to Him at the table and be strengthened by Him in just a moment to take Him into our bodies to have His strength living in us Our union with Him is what makes us strong. And He enables us then to obey Him and to work hard. And we need to wrestle with those things. But even at the end of the day, even our hard work, we're not in control of the results. It's all about coming back to Christ, giving ourselves to Him over and over again. And it's in Him that we have every strength that we have. Let's pray. Father, we know that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. What a picture. That you call us to do things but already in the path of what you have done. You already have given us your son, Jesus Christ. You have already enabled us by grace. You have already done everything to Give us our inheritance and our life. So I pray that if any message is received today, it would be a message of grace, a relief, a freedom, being gripped again by what you have done for us and then enabling us, Father, to to be more like an athlete, farmer, soldier, in your command. I just pray that you would enable us in every way to do that and give us the strength that we do not have in ourselves. In the name of Christ, amen.
Spirit peace. 